scripture lesson today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go, go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and uh, the cities into which we shall become. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and came to the valley of Ishel, and spied it out, and took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and brought it down to us, brought us word again, and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents, and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim here. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God um, carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night, in the cloud by day, to show you by what way, by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account, and said, You shall not go in there. Joshua the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you think of a time in your life where you allowed fear and anxiety to dictate a decision? And then in hindsight, you look back at your life and wish you could go back and change it. For me, uh, it was my college story. Uh, my family has a long-standing tradition of attending uh, Miami University of Ohio. Uh, I think I would have been the fifth generation of Miami graduates in my family. Uh, in fact, most of my grandparents uh, on my mother's side, my parents uh, included, are Miami mergers, where they've met their spouses, uh, and that's what it's kind of called. And it was a big, it's a large state university, and it might surprise you to know that at 17 or 18, I was kind of introverted and quiet and all the things that you know nothing about based on who I am today. 
But I remember distinctly being overwhelmed in that decision to go. I saw Miami University, and, and whether rightfully or wrongfully so, I saw it as a major factor in my brother leaving the Christian faith. And I was scared. Um, I came from a small town. But looking back, I often catch myself wondering what could have been had I attended this great university. Our text today is the story of two generations. Like all of scripture, this passage is a glimpse of the gospel, people's failures, a people's redemption, and a story of hope. But this story is about fear and anxiety and how the nation of Israel failed to trust God with their future. We know from scripture that Israel allows fear and anxiety to disrupt and deceive them into failing into entering the promised land. Deuteronomy is called the second law, and that's what it means in Hebrew is the second law. And it's a series of sermons given by Moses from one generation to the next. We know that Moses doesn't enter the promised land, and we know that this is at the very end of his life. And he's giving an honest and a pastoral account to the people of God about how his generation failed to trust God in entering the promised land. And this new generation to whom Moses is preaching also must face that test of faith. Will they allow their uncertainty about the future? Will they allow the anxiousness that they feel? Will they allow fear to overwhelm them? And will they too turn away from the promised land? So what's the big deal about the promised land? The promised land is a fulfillment of God's covenant to the nation of Israel. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, before the nation of Israel was the nation of Israel, there was this man named Abram, and God made a promise to a Abram. He made a covenant with Abram. A covenant is an intangible promise based on one party's total trust and faith that the other party will make something come true. In contracts in the U.S., it's, we call contracts bilateral agreements, meaning both parties must do something in order to fulfill the contract. A covenant is unique and distinct because it, is, it induces the faith and reliance of one person totally on the faith and reliance that the other party will come to pass and make what they covenanted to be true. In the land, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abram that he will make his, the nation great. He will make his offspring great and into a nation that will serve as a blessing to the world. And through that covenant promise, he promises the, a, a piece of land, a land that is tangible and a reminder of God's covenant blessings. And we know that at Israel, we know that the nation of Israel, the first time that they gazed on the promised land, they had been waiting in anticipation of that moment for hundreds of years. We know that they had been freed from the bondage of sin and slavery. They had been led out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. They had seen, Mo or they had seen Pharaoh's armies crushed and defeated in the Red Sea. They had seen water come from rocks. They had been guided by clouds and pillars of light. And we know that they fail. 
We know that this first generation fails to take the land. My hope today is that we can learn from their lessons and move forward as the people of God in entering the promised land. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you open our hearts and our eyes to the truth of your word this morning? Would you enliven your word today in a way that would bring life and flourishing to our lives? Would you teach us and mold us today and increase our faith? Would you hide me in my own imperfections so that you are seen this morning? Thank you for your faithfulness towards us. And thank you, Lord, that our security and our salvation rests not in what we do, but because of who you are and what you've done. Would you reveal yourself to us today in a more beautiful way? Amen. This text, I think, outlines three reasons why the nation of Israel fails to take the land that we should, we should reflect on. The first thing is, I think we oftentimes determine that the enemy can't be defeated. Look at what scripture says. And I said to you, in verse 20, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, have told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then in just a few moments later in scripture, they turn away. And they allow fear to grip them. And it says, O Lord, you have hated us, in verse 27. You have brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us only into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Fear. Fear is real. Fear is a part of our everyday lives. For those of you who know me, I work in an an insurance company and I evaluate and manage risk. And there's this theory in the law out there, it's called the reptile theory. And it's a very popular tactic to, to try and drive up economic damages or money damages, to get more money for, for victims of injury. And what it says is, is that if we can make someone afraid, if we can go to that primal instinct in our bodies of, of fear, that that will motivate a jury, that'll motivate someone to give us more money because they know that fear is such a crippling emotion. But we know that the Lord begins with his statement about entering the promised land with a command of two promises. The first thing is that he has, that he will go before us and we should not be afraid or we should not be dismayed. The Lord knows that the land is occupied. And we see in the nation of Israel that they devise this plan to come up with spies and send them out to survey the land. And that is oftentimes a good idea. But we know that fear comes back. We know that 10 out of the 12 spies report that the enemy is great and the land cannot be overcome and that it is occupied by the Amorites who were this political and military power of the day. And the people of God allowed themselves to become overwhelmed with fear because the enemy seemed great. And our enemies do indeed seem great, whether it's systemic enemies like injustice, cultural baggage, baggage, polarized politics, or whether they're immensely personal, addiction, our marriage is in trouble. We know that, that we can oftentimes sit as the people of God and full of fear because 
we face an enemy that seems and appears so great. But the Lord has promised you a land. The Lord has promised that this land that is occupied by this enemy is actually your land. And we need not be afraid and we need not be dismayed. We must not allow our physical reality to alter what God has commanded us to do or to undermine who we are as his people. We have a great commission and we have a great commandment to fulfill that God has told us to fulfill without fear or to be dismayed. We struggle and we toil in this life, but we must not allow our present reality and what we perceive to be true about the world around us to cause us to forget or undermine what God has already taught us to, that is true about us, that he has saved us and that is he is victorious and that he is our shield and our portion and our strength. There's a story in scripture in 2 Kings where the nation of Israel is facing a, a tremendous enemy and they look overwhelmed and there's a, a young servant who comes and he proclaims to Elisha and he says, the enemies of God are so great. We are surrounded. We will be crushed by this enemy. And Elisha's prayer for the servant is that the Lord would open his eyes that he may see. And what did he do? The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that while the enemy and their physical reality was great, that the true spiritual landscape was a complete and utter and total victory by God's hand, that the army of heaven was fighting with the nation of Israel. We must not allow fear to distract us and motivate us to think that our enemy cannot be defeated. The second thing I think that scripture teaches us in this lesson is we distract one another. Look at verse 27. And you murmured in your tents and said, behold, the Lord hated us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Friends, during times of transition and times of fear, we must be on the lookout for murmurings and grumblings. We know that we experience in these times of anxiety a fever pitch, and it's almost, it's almost contagious when we're afraid, right? When we, when we see the physical reality before us and we become overwhelmed, our initial reaction is to murmur and to grumble. Friends, woe to those in this congregation and in this church who cause others to falter and trust God and his word. Let this be a warning to those and lead others that we should not and be on guard for when we distract other people from the truth of the scriptures. And friends, we know that words are powerful. We know that the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie. You possess the power to encourage God's people. You possess the power to bring life into the city and flourishing to its people. You also have the ability to sink people and cause rebellion. Friends, in this time of transition and when you're in times where you feel overwhelmed by fear or anxiety about what God has for you and for your future, would you choose in that moment to believe that you have the power to bring life to other people? Would you choose to encourage the people of God around you to keep pursuing him? 
And friend, we don't forget that the sanctifying purpose of what seems to be a great enemy or opposition or persecution or suffering is to conform us into the image of Christ. That in our suffering and in our response to suffering and discontentment or great opposition, that we are partakers with Christ. Friends, don't allow your circumstances to rob you of the joy of what it is to walk with the people of God in uncertainty or in suffering or in heartache. Because Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What is our only singular comfort? It is, as the, Westman, or as the Heidelberg Catechism says, it is that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul and in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And in this moment, we can claim that only God could have caused this victory. See, the nation of Israel did face a great enemy. The nation of Israel did face a military and political enemy that very much outweighed who they were. But when, the God, when God said it was he that went before us, and that he would hold us up with his victorious right hand, and that he would conquer, it was to induce our trust in that only he is capable of conquering that land before us. The third lesson I think that we see that we can learn from this first generation is they distrusted his word, and that was what contributed ultimately to their folly. The first generation saw the power of God in real and tangible, invisible ways from, exodus, from the Exodus, the Red Sea, water from rocks. This first generation and the second generation have been provided for by manna from heaven and God's guidance through the wilderness with pillars of fire and clouds. They had witnessed their hand, or firsthand, the power of God. And yet he says in, he, in, in the scripture passage to go into this land and do not be afraid for he is the one that went before us. And their immediate response was the Lord has hated us and brought us out of the land of Egypt and to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Friends, I often think how oftentimes God has been faithful to me. And I can see in my life how God has moved and orchestrated things in my life. But the moment where I become overwhelmed or the moment that I become fearful, how quickly am I to respond so similarly to the nation of Israel? The Lord has hated me and he's only brought me out of the land of Egypt or my own sin and, and, and death to just to destroy me. I question things like my singleness. I question my adoption. I question whether or not I am indeed lovable. And oftentimes this leads me to despair and heartache. And my immediate thought is so similar to the nation of Israel that the Lord has hated me. Have you been there? Have you ever thought that? But church, the word of God is true. The difficulty of a covenant is that it is wholly based on your own faith and trust in another party to do what they have promised to do. 
It is wholly contingent only on your belief that the covenantor will do what he said he will do. And the word of God has spoken truth and life over you. The Lord has assured us over and over in this passage that we fight from a posture of victory because he has gone before us. He has promised the victory to us. We need to respond only in faith that that is true. We endeavor and endure in this life as those not without hope or without purpose. We do not live for the vanity of wealth and status, power, materialism, or creature comforts. We live and we die proclaiming that the lamb has overcome, that death has been defeated, and the battle is won and the victory is ours. Verse 32 gives us one of the starkest warnings in all of scripture. And it says this, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Christian, in this room, the hardest thing that you will ever do in your life is trust and believe what God has said about you and over you. From Disney princesses to social media to social influencers and everything in between, it is ingrained in our society that it says that you are not good enough for X, Y, and Z. And this sense of unworthiness that is so prevalent in our culture to try and do more, to improve ourselves, to get better, drives us only deeper and farther into sin, addiction, and despair. But know that the word of God is true, and what it says about you is that you have been saved. That God is your salvation. That he is the strength by which you carry on in the day. That he has brought you to pass and that you have overcome all of the things that tell you you're not good enough. That you're not worthy enough. He has overcome your fear and anxiety about whatever the future may hold for you. Whatever doubts you may feel about what, God, what your future holds, God has said he will bring to pass something that is good to them that love them, that love him. We can trust in his word. And, that, and a warning to us as leaders, and let it be, never be true of this church that it is said, in spite of this word, Rez Prez did not believe the Lord our God. And we know what happens in this first generation. Israel, or Moses tells us very simply that they failed. They failed to believe his word. They allowed themselves to think that the enemy couldn't be defeated. And they distracted one another with the murmuring. And in verse 40, the Lord says, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. And then we know that he's, they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness in what should have been an 11-day journey. So what happens if you find yourself in the wilderness? What is it that maybe you feel that you, like me and, and the story of Miami, feel like you've missed out on in life because of fear and anxiety? Well, I ended up attending a very small school, and I made friends for life there. I had a great 
academic experience. I loved my professors. And while there's still that feeling in me of what could have been, there are three things in this passage that I think that the Lord and the Lord has certainly proven in my life that are true. And the first thing is this. God spares those who are faithful to him and he does not abandon them. Look at verse four. uh, Look at verse 34. The Lord spares Caleb because he followed the Lord. When the spies came back and uh, all 12 of them said, this land is flowing like milk and honey. This is a great land. But we see in verses 31 or 36 through 40 how great they reported the enemies of God being, and this caused them to distrust. But we see that God spares those who are faithful to him. Your individual faithfulness is given credit by God, even in the midst of corporate unfaithfulness. And we see how God spares Caleb and his household. We see God's covenant blessings extended to Caleb's family because of his faithfulness. Friends, would you believe that the, war, that the Lord your God goes before you and that he has called you to his purposes? And know that, he will, that, he, that even when you find yourself in the wilderness or even when you find yourself in a collective unwilderness, that he is faithful and spares those who are faithful to him. And I love this verse in verse 39, and it says, In the little ones that, the, that you said would be taken captive and pray, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land, and I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. What a powerful reminder that God is faithful even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness. The second thing that we see is God still provides for his people, even when they find themselves in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 7 says this, For the Lord your God blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you are going through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And during this wilderness years, we see how God remained faithful and provided for his people. He provided manna from heaven. He provided a tabernacle for his people, which is a foreshadowing of the promise that the land that the land symbolized, which is where God would dwell with his people. He promises to provide even when we find ourselves in the midst of a wilderness. And the third thing that we see is God prepares his people. In Rome, uh, all the things that it takes for a nation happened in the wilderness for the nation of Israel. Before they ever took possession of the land, they developed laws, they developed customs, they uh, developed rules and civil government, they developed a military, and they developed trade. And in the midst of this, we see that God is continually providing, but he's also preparing for his people. We know that we're not stuck in this wilderness that we find ourselves in, that he is still faithful to spare us, that he is still faithful to provide for us. And ultimately, he is preparing us to enter the promised land. So there are three things at the very end here that I think that the second generation of Israel heard and learned from that I would like, that I think that would be beneficial for us to consider as we move forward as a faith family. 
in what God has for our future. And the first thing is this. I think the second generation of Israel learned that we are truly his people, and therefore we can be strong and courageous in the Lord. As we, looked, as we look towards the promised land, we don't want to mistake our success from our own doing, but humbly and continually relying on, on the Lord's strength and provision. In Joshua or in Deuteronomy chapter 9, it says this, Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my own righteousness that the Lord has brought me into possession of this land. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart, you are going to possess their land, but because God may con confirm his word that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Friends, we are a stubborn people who will continually find ourselves, just like the nation of Israel, having over and over being reminded that our true home and our true calling is in the Lord. But one of the things that I think the second generation learned is that they are strong and courageous in the Lord. It is the same problem, but a different perspective. The Amorites and now the Canaanites, all enemies of the nation of Israel, were still occupying the land. But we now have a generation who is trusting and relying on that covenant promise of God that, he, that this land belongs to them and they enter it. We still face opposition in this life. We still face battles and obstacles to come. But we know that the Lord has told us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, are few. So therefore, we can be strong and courageous in continuing the mission that the Lord has for us. The second thing I think that the nation of Israel learns, the second generation of the nation of Israel learns, is we have his covenant promises and therefore, we can proclaim his presence. We are promised that in Christ, we have a new and better covenant. We no longer have to make sacrifices to animals, and we no longer have God only dwelling in a specific place at a specific time and a specific moment, but that he lives and breathes inside of us through his spirit. We should have joy in the privilege of prayer, and we should be comforted that he is dwelling in us, and that in return should result in that we should welcome those who persecute us, who defy us, who hate us, because we too were once the enemies of God, but we have been reconciled unto him. We do not need land to bless the city, and we do not need land to heal the souls of many. We do not need land to invite other people to experience the presence of God. We know that fear is not, the, is not defeated by knowledge. You don't fix fear by simply knowledge. Any of us in this room who have children know that when they're afraid and the monster is under the bed, that you can tell them over and over and over again, that that monster isn't there. And the objective reality is we know that there's not a monster under the bed. We know what defeats fear is presence. That monster may still be under the bed, but when mom or dad is with them, 
that conquers fear, that conquers anxiety. And friends, we do not have to be afraid because we have the presence of Christ living inside of us. He is with us. He has given us his word and his promise and his spirit that he will never leave us nor forsake us and that he is the same yesterday, today, and the same. And because of that, he is with you wherever you go. In Joshua chapter 1, when we see the nation of Israel moving into the promised land, three times in the first nine verses, he says, we do not have to be afraid. Why? Because the Lord is with you wherever you go. It is presence that defeats your fear and anxiety. And in turn, we should be proclaiming his presence because we are heirs with Christ. And friends, we should be warned if we loathe our, and, and protect and hoard our inheritance. Somehow in God's upside down and inside out economy, our inheritance is only made richer and more fuller when there are more heirs invited into his kingdom. Are we a community that is marked by peace in a world that is full of division. We have witnessed this this weekend, that we are divided. But are we in ResPres, in this room and online, are we a community that is bringing peace to this city? Are we a community of love in a world that is just full of sin and sorrow and despair? Are we a community of freedom in a world that is bound to addiction and, and a feeling of unworthiness? Are we a community that is extending hope in a world so devoid of meaning? And are we a church that truly embodies a welcome so great, a table so wide, a home so large that all who enter this room can belong before they ever believe? And in closing, the third thing I think that this passage teaches us that the second generation got is we have a promised land that knows no bounds. So we have a kingdom all around us. Because we are confident in God's promise and because we believe in the word that God has given us and we are assured of our inheritance, we can proudly proclaim that our citizenship is not to any nation in this world, but it is to a kingdom that knows no bounds and knows no end. And that we can live, and that citizenship should drive us to live in such a way that we can confidently know that whatever may come, whatever may fall in the days and months and years ahead of us, that our position is secure in Christ, and it is he that goes before us. And we long for and we look forward to that day when there is a new heaven and a new earth and a restored physical creation. And while we live in that not yet moment, that we can have confidence that God has provided and is preparing us for that kingdom to come. And we go forth from this room today proclaiming a crucified and risen Christ, not of our own righteousness, but we walk towards the promised land, not because we know that our fear and anxiety has been overcome by his promises to us and his presence with us. So we can trust his word, we can rely on his victory, 
and we are a promised land people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank